Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Hey, what's up, you guys? I'm Andrea. I'm Haley, and this is Inhuman, a true crime podcast. Okay, so hey guys, what's up? How's it going? How's it hanging? (laughs) how's it hanging i am very tired tonight same i am equally as tired well i don't know how tired you are but i'm also tired (laughs) i bet you're more tired than me considering (laughs) you are growing two humans and have a sick toddler i bet you're more tired than i am yeah maybe okay that's fair that's fair (laughs) Yeah, so been just kind of trucking through today. Um, yeah, my, my son is sick, and the babies are, like, real active. Been having lots of, like, Braxton Hicks contractions pretty much mm. all day. I'm sure it's because of the stress, you know, of having a sick child. Um, yeah. But it doesn't seem, knock on wood, seems just like a little virus, you know. He's acting like his normal self, so that's good, but. That's good. Um. Well, I guess before we get into the to the episode, I I do have a little bit of news just about the um, Scott Peterson case that was yeah recently for whatever oh. reason re looked into as far as sentencing goes, and he was taken off um, death row or you know the death penalty, and they sentenced him to life in prison without the possibility of parole. So at least there's yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. If you guys don't know, he was convicted of murdering his wife, Lacey Peterson, who was seven and a half months pregnant. Mm-hmm. So he was also convicted of second degree murder of the unborn baby. Right. Um, and it's a nasty, nasty case. Um, and he, so he was sentenced to death. He was convicted and sentenced to death. And then because he's in California... The uh, California governor, Gavin Newsom, basically said during his term while he's in office, no California inmates are going to be executed, which pretty much wouldn't have affected Scott Peterson anyway, because he you have to go through all your appeals before you're executed. And it doesn't seem like Scott Peterson would make it through all his appeals. Yeah. Before Newsom's out of office. But they determined that the judge, I just did a bunch of research on this, so this is why I know it. Um, The judge that, that, like, did the case back in 2004 when he was convicted, he, while choosing the jury or, you know, dismissing jurors, apparently there were some jurors that were against capital punishment, but said that they would still be willing to consider it, which isn't a reason for dismissal. 
like, if they're saying, no, I will never consider capital punishment, Mm -hmm. then they can be dismissed. But apparently these jurors said, yeah, my views are against it, but I'm willing to consider it, but we're still dismissed, which technically he wasn't supposed to do. So because of that, the California Supreme Court overturned the death sentence but he was also trying to get his conviction overturned and like get a new trial because of all this other stuff and they didn't overturn that they were like no your trial was fine so yeah yeah so the so that's why he his death sentence was like removed because of that but so then because of that he had to be resentenced and that's what happened today yeah well that judge really drop the ball then (laughs) i don't know i mean i definitely we've talked about this a lot um like the gray area of the death penalty and like i'm not really like pro but i'm not really against it's kind of that like situational um yeah but in this case i i don't think i would have been too mad honestly yeah me neither but also like just the fact that this could have like potentially led to like a mistrial or something being overturned yeah, yeah. oh my that's God. what's like even worse about it so yeah i would have been furious <laughs> oh yeah yeah so i'm glad that um his conviction was not overturned and he's been sentenced to life in prison i don't know how it works if he still gets appeals or what because like when you're on death row you get appeals but i don't know how it works i mean i think you can still appeal but i feel like it's kind of harder well I think there's a limit. I don't know. Like, I think it might be state to state as far as what that limit is. But if you have, like, no possibility of parole, to me, that you shouldn't be able to appeal. He already did. And and they resentenced him. And, yeah, that should be it. But I don't know how that works exactly, especially in another state. I have no idea. But Yeah. Well, hopefully. Hopefully uh, he'll not be able right. to appeal and he'll be in jail forever if you guys can't tell what our stance is on yeah. whether or not he's guilty and if you don't agree with us don't don't even let us know please don't let us know <laughs> <laughs> you you're entitled to your own opinion but we yes. will not argue about this no not at all because there is people out there that think he's innocent I posted um, a video about it on TikTok this morning and people were saying, have you seen the Hulu documentary? Because apparently, I haven't, but apparently this Hulu documentary, they're they're painting him as innocent. And like, you can do that in media. Like, you can show that. It even happened. I don't know. But I mean, I don't think they're necessarily like we're trying to to do that. They were probably trying to make it controversial to like make it a good show. But if that's all that people watch about it, if you're not into true crime and don't, you know, know a lot about the case and you just watch the documentary, that's what That poor innocent young man. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's what happened with Madeline McCann. Like, I watched the Netflix documentary before I knew about the case and I totally was like, the parents did it. The parents did it, And now I'm not so (laughs) sure. So, like, you know, I definitely think that the media and especially documentaries like that can kind of sway a certain way. So I think Mm -hmm. that's why a lot of people believe he's innocent, because there's things like that out there that only talk about the or put emphasis on the stuff that shows he's innocent. But yeah, you know, (sighs) anyway, (laughs) enough about that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Do we have any other news? Any anything else? The only other thing I was going to share was there was some recent like 
quote-unquote developments in the Delphi case, in the the Delphi Delphi murders case, it's, I don't think it's related. I don't even know. So basically, if you haven't heard about it, there was this fake Instagram profile that was basically using photos of a male model and pretending to be this male model and talk to underage girls. And it came out Monday, was it Monday night? I think it was like Monday night. Yeah. Late Monday night, the Indiana State Police were like, we're trying to find who's behind this profile. And the articles were making it in connection to the Delphi murders, but I don't think police ever said that. And then by Tuesday afternoon, they had found the guy, and it's a guy who has been convicted of this type of stuff, of like, you know, soliciting photos and whatever. I don't want to talk about that. Yeah. Because it's disgusting. Um, But... They basically said it It was around the same time, and I guess he was, an, a search warrant was executed on his house, like, a couple days after Abby and Libby were murdered. So I think that, and it's, like, kind of in the same area, so I think that's why a lot of people were making the connection, but there's no actual connection that I could find, and I mean... The detectives in Abby and Libby's case have said, of course, they're investigating all possibilities. Right. But I don't really think there's a real connection between them, and I'm still so confused why that even really came up. I read in in one article, and I can't remember which source it was, um, but it had said that he had engaged with with one of their or both of their social medias. And I don't know if that was, like, recent or if that was back then. Like, it didn't differentiate. Um, But maybe that's why. Yeah, maybe, and that may or may not be true. Like, maybe somebody just said that, or maybe the police did say that, but then kind of, like, we're like, oh, shit, maybe we shouldn't have have said that. Yeah. So, I mean, either way, hopefully it brings more attention back to the case. Right. Because we still don't know who killed them, so. Yeah. But I just wanted to share about that in case some of you guys have heard that since we've covered that case on the podcast. I didn't want you guys to be confused if you've seen the news on that. Right. Okay. So, I guess we will go ahead and dive into my case. So, when I was looking, I, I kind of wanted to do, like, a survivor story this week. Um, okay. Because I feel like we've we've been doing a lot of heavy stuff, which, I mean, that's what true crime is. It's all heavy. But, I don't know. I was, yeah. like, looking for a survivor case and, like, I don't know. Nothing was, like, jumping out to me. But I did come okay. across... Um, another case and it's kind of Christmas related so I was like well maybe I'll do this one because I've never heard of it it happened around Christmas time it's kind of like a Christmassy if you want to call it that true crime case Um, and when I first (laughs) when I first decided to do it I was like okay you know it's 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 not too heavy but then by the end of my research I was like fuck (laughs) so (laughs) of course Yeah. So, sorry, it's going to be a little heavy. (laughs) All right. That's okay. I forgive you. I don't know what you're covering. I haven't even looked at our, like, case list, so I don't even know the name of it yet. Well, I am going to be covering the Martin Family Disappearances. Okay, yeah, I don't think I've heard of this. Yeah, I had never heard of it, ever. And it's kind of crazy, too, because, like, it's it's a good one. Like, it has twists and turns and you know all of the things and i'm surprised okay no other podcast that i've listened to has covered it um all right yay because we are (laughs) 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 so on december 7th which 
would be yesterday as a, you know, oh my gosh. while we're recording this. We're yeah, recording. I know. I was like, Darn So it. two days ago when you hear this. Yeah, two days ago when you hear this. Um, on December 7th, 1958, Kenneth Martin decided to take his family out for a trip to go pick out a Christmas tree and gather some greenery for a Christmas wreath. Which is just like, so reminds me of my family because we used to do the same thing. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Kenneth's wife, Kenneth's wife, Barbara Martin, and their three daughters, 14-year-old Barbara Barbie, they called her Barbie, 13-year-old Virginia, and 11-year-old Susan, all loaded up into their 1954 cream and red-colored Ford Country Squire station wagon. Oh, oh my. <laughs> Around 1 p.m., and I will post a picture of this this vehicle on our Instagram. It is just so classic for that time. I was going to say, this reminds me of something that, like, my mom's family would have had growing yeah, up. for sure. It, it gives me, like, for some reason, like, Christmas story vibes. I don't even know if there's a car in that yeah. movie. I can't remember. Um, but that's what I thought of for some reason. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> Their oldest child, Donald, who was 28 at the time, wasn't with the family um, this day. He was actually in the Navy and was stationed in New York. And the family, aside from Donald, they all lived in Portland, Oregon. Okay. So the Martins left town and traveled east along the Columbia River. It was uh, a late start for them. Um, they were last seen at Cascade Locks at 4 p.m. So I don't really know, like, if they left at 1 and then they weren't seen until 4. I don't really know what um, they were doing during that time frame. I guess they were just kind of driving the countryside and, like, sightseeing. I don't really know. Okay. But that's what one of the reports um, I read said that, you know, they had just gone on, like, a drive, a family drive before. Okay. Um, so they were last seen at Cascade Locks at 4 p.m. when Dean Baxter, the gas station proprietor, reported that he encountered the family when they purchased five gallons of gas and fueled up their car. Then after that, they continued eastward. According to one report, the time of day that they chose to leave was not a common time because Kenneth, the father, didn't like to drive when it's dark out, so... If you're thinking 4 o'clock, it's definitely dark, you know, this time of year, December. I mean, it's pitch black dark by, like, 5 p.m. now, it seems like. Yeah, I freaking hate it. I mean, it's 5.30 here right now, and it's literally pitch dark. Yeah, I hate it, too. Not a fan. Not a fan. No. So the next reported sighting of the Martins was in Hood River at a restaurant called Paradise Snack Bar, which was approximately 20 miles east of Cascade Locks, where they picked up gas. A waitress named Clara York claimed to have served the family there. It's also reported that Kenneth had told some of like their family friends that they were like planned to return home that evening. So by all accounts... He should have been home that night. Um, but after this last sighting, the family was never seen again. Oh, my God. So, on December 9th, which would be two days later, um, Kenneth failed to report to his job at Eclace Electric. 
His daughter, Barbie, was noted absent from her morning classes at Grant High School, and both Susan and Virginia, which were the two younger daughters, were also reported absent by their teachers at Rose City School. The family was officially reported missing that evening by Kenneth's boss, Taylor Eccles. I think that's how you say it. It's E-C-C-L-E-S. Okay, that's probably how I would say it. Yeah. So, close to midnight... Police showed up at the Martins' home on 56th Avenue. There, they discovered a load of laundry still in the washer and a stack of dishes on the drying rack. So, to police, it appeared that the family had every intentions of going back to their home and finishing their chores later that evening, like they had told family, you know, our family and friends that they would be back later that evening. Right. Everything was in tip-top condition. Nothing seemed out of place. The police did, however, check Kenneth's bank details just to see if they had been robbed or if there was anything out of sorts, but they found that no cash had been withdrawn from his account and everything seemed to be, you know, completely normal. Okay. Friends, family, and authorities were confused as to what could have happened to Kenneth, Barbara, Barbie, Virginia, and Susan. They just seemingly vanish into thin air. That's so scary. Yeah. And it's not like, you know, like them to just take off without telling, you know, their family and friends. So, Right. And like a whole family just taking off like that. Yeah. I have no idea. Oh, that's really, that's really (sighs) freaky. Yeah. So the Hood River County Police and the Multnama, Multnama County Police were on scene investigating the case. They first went to Cascade Locks, which was the initial sighting of the family where they got gas, which led to the discovery of a white Chevrolet that had been reported stolen in Los Angeles, California. And that vehicle was found abandoned at Cascade Locks the day the Martins disappeared. Okay. So, of course, it was first dismissed since it obviously didn't match the car belonging to the Martins. But, much more interestingly, nearby, police found a thirty-eight caliber Colt Commander handgun, which was covered in dried blood. That's... Suspicious. Suspicious. That's suspicious. Have you heard the TikTok? That's suspicious. Yeah. That's weird. (laughs) Yeah. That's weird. So... (laughs) In their opinion, it appeared that the gun had been used to bludgeon someone. Okay. Which is always, yeah. like, weird to me because it's like, you have a gun. Maybe you, you just have a gun. be quiet. <laughs> I don't know. I guess, yeah. The police were able to trace the gun's serial number, and it led them to a Marrier and Frank department store where, even more interestingly, it was found that the gun was among stolen items allegedly stolen by the Martin's son, Donald. Oh, okay. When he worked there two years prior. Donald had allegedly been fired for stealing over $2,000 worth of merchandise, which in 1958, or was it 58? Yes, 1958 is, that's a lot of money. (laughs) Yeah, that's, yeah, that's not just like chunk chains. Yeah, and the fact that he's like in the Navy now is like, You really, like, dodged that bullet. Yeah. 
Unfortunately, by all accounts, and despite being in the possession of law enforcement, the gun was never processed for evidence. So, no fingerprints, no blood typing, and no DNA. Wait, you said blood... Mm -hmm. Dry blood was found on the gun. Blood was found on it? Yep. But But they never tested it again. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. And either that, or they did test it, and they never reported on it. Which makes no sense. None yeah, of it Yeah, no. No. So also at this location, Detective Graven, a detective on the case, discovered tire impressions on a bluff leading into the Columbia River. The tread matched the type of tires that would have been on the Martin's car. And he also found paint chips that were sent to the FBI crime lab and were examined and found to be the same make, model, and paint scheme of the Martin family vehicle. Okay. So on May 1st, 1959, which would be about three months after the disappearance and after the tire tracks were reported, a river drilling rig near Dally's reportedly hooked on something of substantial weight. However... It became dislodged before it could be pulled to the surface. Oh, okay. In the early morning hours of May 2nd, which was the next day, a fisherman and his wife reported seeing what appeared to be two bodies floating downstream near Cascade Locks. They they later encountered them near Bonneville Dam. On the afternoon of May 3rd, the body of Susan was discovered oh on God. the north bank. So she was the youngest, the 11-year-old. Um, it was discovered on the north bank of the Columbia River near Camas, Washington. Sorry, I did not look up any of the pronunciations of these places just because it wasn't, like, super relevant. Um, but I'm sure... No worries. If um, yeah. you guys want to correct me, you can. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Camas or Camas, Washington, which was roughly 70 miles west of the Dallies. And her identity was positively confirmed via dental records. The following morning, on May 4th, the body of Virginia was discovered near Bonneville Dam, roughly 46 miles west of the Dallies, and was also confirmed via dental records. Although... All right. You know, being in in water, their bodies were badly decomposed. The autopsy did reveal a clue. It was reported on the autopsy in the photographs that Virginia Martin had a hole in her head. But they were not able to determine what caused the hole. So they don't know if it was a bullet hole, a... I'm assuming it was not a bullet hole just because, well, I guess... If there was an exit wound or the bullet, I mean, if they did an autopsy, but it was also the 50s, so I don't know, you know, how extensive right. they were. You know, they probably didn't right. do, like, x-rays. But I feel like that you should still be able to determine. I don't know. I mean, they were in water for months, you know? Okay. Yeah, I guess. And a lot of things happen to bodies when they're in water. That's true. Yeah. So, unfortunately, they were not able to determine what caused the hole, so... Both of them, um, both of the girls were ruled cause of death as drowning. Okay. But this did luckily lead lead to a further search um, to hopefully find the bodies of Kenneth, Barbara, and Barbie. But 
the search was unsuccessful. They were unable to track down any other members of the Martin family. Wow, okay. So, much like me, I'm sure you're wondering, um, what about Donald? What the fuck? Where, where, mm-hmm. where the fuck is Donald? Like, mm-hmm. what, is he getting yep. questioning? Or is he, like, charged? Or what's going on? When his family vanished, Donald did not return home to Oregon. It seemed like he did not care, and he was completely disconnected from his family altogether. He only returned back when he had to settle the family's inheritance in March of 1959. So he only came back for the money. Yeah, because he was the lone beneficiary. He was the only one left. Right. Donald also did not show up for the funeral ceremonies of his sister's. And they were cre- cre- the girls were cremated, and their ashes were left unclaimed in the Riverview Abbey Mausoleum for nearly oh a decade. Oh, my God. However, in December of 1969, they were discovered and taken by an anonymous individual. Could not find who that okay. person was. No idea. But... And somebody can just come and take claim i would imagine it would have to be someone in their family okay yeah. but it's you know 1969 i don't know the rules back then or i don't even know the rules now for that sort of thing but i'm pretty sure you have to be a family member to be able to take someone's ashes okay so donald martin was never deemed ruled a suspect and I'm assuming it's because he had an alibi in New York City because, I get, you know, he was in New York at the time. But who really knows what, yeah, how involved he was. And he died in 2003 with no questions being answered. All right. So the police theorized that Kenneth Martin maybe probably accidentally or deliberately drove his car off the cliff. Or that the family may have been forced off the cliff by an unknown, like, bad guys. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, bad guys. Bad guys. Yeah. <laughs> Interlo- <laughs> I put interlocutors, which I don't think that's how you pronounce that, because that's probably the word that was in the source. Never even heard <laughs> of that word in my entire life. So I, don't know why, I don't know why I even put that in there. <laughs> Not laughing at the story, laughing that I did that. Okay. <laughs> um, in the end, they appear to have settled upon foul play of an unknown cause. And as of this past Tuesday, this case is 63 years old and still to this day unsolved. Holy shit. And that is the mysterious semi, di- you know, disappearance slash murder slash foul play yeah. accident. Of the Martin family going out to get their Christmas tree. Wow. In nineteen fifty eight. I know, it really is. And like like Martin okay, not Martin, excuse me, Kenneth, the dad, like you know how sometimes like in your story how people were like, Oh, he seemed like like the Lawson family earlier. Um Yeah. This week they were like he seemed off that day, was doing things yeah. out of the norm. This wasn't the case for Kenneth. Like no one came out later and said they were having issues or he was like doing things out of the norm like everything just seemingly was a normal day they were going out to get their christmas tree and get stuff to make a wreath and something happened and three of them are missing and two of them were found 
dead in the river and there's just no answers. I wonder how high the possibility is that the rest were in the river and they just were never swept away or found. Yeah. Or gotten by like animals or I mean, that that seems like the best possibility, honestly. Like, I can't imagine that they're, like, alive somewhere or, I mean, if someone killed the whole family, that they would take three of the members of the family off somewhere. So chances are, yes, that's probably what happened to them. But it is just so bizarre that none of them were found. And they dredged. They did, did like, a, a river dredge. They had helicopter and, like, some kind of sonar. Um, okay, so they looked. The, yeah, so they like really did their due diligence to look for these these people, but they never found them. So wow, I definitely am leaning towards either it was an accident or somebody like drove them off the road. Yeah, and but why? Somehow they just weren't found. <laughs> Donald yeah, who fucking knows. I I, yeah. I mean, he seems like the the likely suspect. And nothing I came across, like, said that he had a, you know, rock-solid alibi. Um, But the fact that he was never a suspect made me, like, led me to believe that. But I'm also, like, he was in the military. Like, maybe they pulled some strings and... I I mean, you never know. Yeah. You never know. Like, sadly, there's such little information that, yeah, you just... Yeah. We don't know. It could literally be anything. Yeah. But I do know that he was he was pretty estranged from his family during that time. So, and the fact that the gun that he stole was that's, there. That's really, yeah. Like, too big of a coincidence. Like, I believe in coincidences, but when they're that blatant, to me, it's like, yeah. hmm, this is not a coincidence anymore. Yeah. If it wasn't for that, I would say... Like, yeah, he's not connected or, like, not involved or whatever. But that's really weird. Unless someone was... What if someone was trying to frame him? Yeah, I thought that, too. And I also thought, like, what if the the dad had it in his possession? And someone, like, took it from him and beat him with it, you know? Right. Uh, Like, maybe they pulled over to, like, look at the river, like, look at the landscape or whatever. And then someone rolled up and, like, attacked the family. But... Right. Again, it's like, they didn't test the gun, so we don't know whose blood that was. Yeah, why the hell would you not test the gun? Like, that would be such a big clue. But the FBI tested the the paint. (laughs) Right, because that makes sense. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah, I don't know. Wow. Well, that's so sad. I know. It really is a sad case, how, like, the two youngest daughters were found and the rest of the family. I mean, they were never put to rest, you know? Yeah. Aw. (sighs) Wow. Well, be safe if you're going out to get your Christmas tree. Yeah, for real. <laughs> Don't ever pull over on the side of the road, ever, anywhere. <laughs> yeah, for any reason. agreed. But, yeah. So, I will, um, their daughters were precious. I'll post pictures of their family and the Ford Country Squire station wagon. Yeah, I want to <laughs> see this. Yeah. Um, on our Instagram, so make sure make sure you're following us over on Instagram. I can't talk. I'm, like, so tired. Inhuman <laughs> underscore podcast. Um, follow us on Facebook. I'll be posting over there as well, and that's just Inhuman, a true crime podcast. 
If you have any case suggestions or listener stories, you can email us or go to our website at Inhuman Podcast. Wait, that's it, right? Yeah, inhumanpodcast.com. <laughs> it didn't sound right when I said it. I don't know where I, I don't know why. It's, it's because it's so simple and we all like we have I'm that. Like, we did whereas that. everything else we have to like have an underscore or whatever, but that one we have, so it seems yeah. weird. Yeah. So you can do but, yeah. the case suggestions or listener story um, on the website or through Instagram on our link tree, or you can email us at inhumanmonsterpod at gmail.com. And I think that's it for for today, yeah. for Thursday. But I hope you guys have a good weekend. Thank you so much for listening. And until Monday, keep it human. Bye.